This is SAFM Sport with Tabiso Musia. Thank you and good evening. Welcome to the show, a sport on with me, Tabiso Mosia and Loyolom Kalipi producing Sylvester Komane in technical with us tonight. And it is Flashback Fridays and we, as we always do at this time, we catch up with sporting stars of yesteryear while we also try to educate the young ones about um, our sporting heroes and historic moments in South African sport. And today I'm going to get some education because our guest tonight uh, played way before my time. But I've always heard about him and in the spirit of Wimbledon and with Kevin Anderson going all the way to the semi-finals, we will be Speaking to another man who reached the last four at Wimbledon for South Africa and later on went on to reach the final playing for the USA before losing to a certain unseated 17-year-old German at the time, a very young Boris Becker. So our guest is former tennis pro Kevin Curran tonight. And we'll also hear from boxing trainer Colin Nathan of the Hot Box Gym. They are in Malaysia at the moment where Murutim Talane will be taking on Pakistan-born Wasim Mohammed for the vacant IBF flyweight title. And this is the main undercard in a bill that also also features Filipino superstar Manny Pacquiao, who will be challenging for the WBA welterweight crown held by Argentinian Lucas Matese. Then the big one. Kaiser Chiefs have finally appointed a new coach and we will get a background on the new coach and we'll also open the lines to get reaction from all of you Kaiser Chiefs supporters. It is been a long wait has it been worth the wait is this the man that you've been waiting for and is this the man to take you to greater heights so when we do have that conversation do join us on 0891 kaiser chief supporters our sms line is 40938 our whatsapp number is 0614104107 hashtag on social media safm spot on and if you haven't heard by now the new coach is giovanni solinas he's the former free state stars coach he coached free state stars uh, two times and he is now the head coach of kaiser chiefs on a two-year deal with an option to extend uh, that is giovanni solinas but before all of that let's get a wrap of the day's action from the first test match between the proteas and sri lanka in goal today was day two the proteas beginning on 4-4-1 still trailing by 283 runs and sabc sport correspondent aslam kota filed this report for us Sri Lanka struck back at the end of day one when Ranga Nahira found the edge of Aidan Markham's bat to have him well caught a slip by Angela Matthews for a duck. South Africa ended on 4 for 1 with Dean Algo on 4 and night watchman Kashaf Maharaj on north. The day, however, belonged to the elegant left-hander Dimuth Karunaratne, who became the fourth Sri Lankan opener to carry his bat. His flawless, undefeated 158 took over six and a half hours and he struck 13 fours and one six. He shepherded the lower order to frustrate the South Africans and rescued the innings from 176 for 7 to 287 all out. The ninth and 10th wicket partnerships yielded 111 valuable runs with acting captain Saranga Lakmal and Lakshan Sandakan respectively. With Dale staying back, Kahiso Rabada bowled first change and he struck immediately to break a stubborn opening stand. He finished with 4 for 15, 14 overs. Tabrej Samzi started well, but went off the boil towards the close and finished with 3 for 91 in 25.4 overs. Dale Stain and Vernon Philander each took a wicket. South Africa are 283 behind and the pitch in goal will pose more problems as it took turn from the very first session today. Aslam Kota, SABC Sport. Okay, that was a rep of day one. Apologies for that. Here's a rep of day two. Sri Lanka closed day two on 111 for four and lead by 272 runs. Timoth Karunaratne, the hero of the Sri Lankan first innings, was finally dismissed 
when he was well caught at first slip Mahashi Mamla of Kachif Sarabada for a well played 60 which came off 80 balls and that included 7 fours. This to go with his 158 not out in the first innings. After T. Keshav Maharaj in a space of 4 overs picked up 3 wickets including 2 in 3 balls to have the hosts on 64 for 3. Earlier South Africa were dismissed for a disappointing 126 with only Captain Faf Duplessis' contribution of 49 as the notable performance. Sri Lanka's spinners took 7 for 103 with Dilroan Pereira taking 4 for 46. Russian Silva and Angelo Matthews saw their team through to the end of the day. 111 for 4 Sri Lanka at the end of the day and lead by 272. Aslam Kota, SABC Sport. Thank you very much there, Mr. Aslam Kota. And from Sri Lanka to Wimbledon, let's get an update from Chris Bowers. Uh, Kevin Anderson is in semi-final action today against John Isner and what a match it's turning out uh, to be. What a crazy match we have here. Anderson looked out of it at the start of the fourth set, but then broke Isner to lead 3-2. But just as happened when he broke the American in the third set, he played a poor service game straight after and was broken back. But then Anderson broke in the ninth game. He was serving for it at 5-4. I have to say he did his best to blow his serve again, squandering three set points from 40 love up as he got seriously tight. But on his fourth set point, he held. And now we have a final set after nearly four hours of play. Who knows which way this one will go? At least we've had some breaks of serve so it doesn't necessarily mean an endless final set despite the absence of the tiebreak but much may depend on how heavy Anderson's legs are in what will be his 10th hour of match play in the past 30 hours. Oh and we have Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal waiting to play their semi-final they were billed as the more attractive match but there has to be a chance they won't finish tonight Chris Bowers for SAFM Sport London Thanks, Chris. So it is two sets all there in the decider. It is a three all in that decider. Incredibly, as you heard from Chris, the first three sets were decided on a tie break. And then Kevin Anderson won uh, the fourth 6-4. So we'll give you an update throughout the show on that. And let's also talk rugby, looking ahead to the final round of action in Super Rugby. Before the knockout stages, we put a call through to our man, um, Craig Ray, our rugby correspondent, uh, just to find out who still has something to play for this weekend as far as the South African teams are concerned. The Lions and the Bulls face off in the, the derby, while the Sharks host uh, the Jaguars. Well, the big one, of course, is the Sharks, and they got the Jaguars, but um, they need to beat the Jaguars to sneak into eighth position. But um, it might be a moot point if earlier in the day the Rebels somehow beat the Highlanders in New Zealand because the Rebels are three points clear of the Sharks on the standings at the moment. So uh, a win there, or even a bonus point, a losing bonus point for the Rebels might be enough. And the Sharks then would have to uh, win with a bonus point against the Jaguars. So the one thing the Sharks will have in their favor is they'll know exactly where they stand when they uh, take the field at 5 o'clock tomorrow afternoon in Durban. Mm. And then with the Lions and the Bulls match, what's at stake there? Well, the Lions, I think uh, with the Jaguars uh, slipping up against the Bulls last week, that's pretty much sealed it for the Lions. They do need to get uh, a point or so from that game. So, you know, I think the Lions will need this just to get some momentum, you know, to take into the playoffs. And uh, for the Bulls, of course, it's about pride and also about uh, trying to just move above the Stormers on the log with uh, with the victory there. So, you know, the Bulls have had a, a difficult season. It started so well when you think it seems years ago now when they beat the Hurricanes in round one uh, for the Bulls. But um, since then, they've they've struggled a little bit through the season. They had a good win last week against the Jaguars, of course. So, um, yeah, for them, they're just trying to play for some pride. But for the Lions, if they can get a win, they'll like, get on a roll, get some momentum, home playoff the following week. And, you know, they could they could go all the way to the semifinals again. So are you expecting a classic South African derby or not, since the Bulls don't have much to play for? 
No, I don't think it's going to be classic in the, you know, the, the sense we normally associate with the classic South African derby, which is all sort of blood and thunder forward battle. And it will be a forward battle, but I think both these sides have committed to a more positive, expansive style of rugby. So I think we might see an entertaining game, especially you know, if uh, the Bulls, like you say, they don't really have anything to play for, so they might just decide that let's just throw the ball around and see where we go. And that might play into the Lions' hands a little bit. And if the results go the Sharks' way in the earlier game, do they have enough to beat the Jaguars, uh, who had a fantastic run before being brought back down to earth uh, by the Bulls at Loftus last weekend? Yeah, it's a good question. They're going into the game, of course, without uh, Jean-Luc Dupree, so that's uh, a bit of a blow in, the, in terms of their forward. Jaguars is a strange result to them last week, but I think they'll be better this week. And No, they, of course, are in playoff position anyway. They can't really improve their position above seventh uh, much. But uh, they, they would still want to also just build some momentum uh, going into the playoffs. So they've got a lot to play for in that sense. And, you, uh, you know, they had that seven-match winning streak. And uh, they all want to knock the Sharks out of it because I think they all, they all believe that uh, they're a better side than the Sharks and, and they should you know, certainly uh, pull up their way up the log. But, you know, for them, again, they can't really improve their position much more than seventh. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's just an exercise in building momentum for the following week where they're going to have an away playoff game. On the next episode of The Man Cave, we take an in-depth look into one of South Africa's most prolific designers and quickest growing fashion brands. And the first rule of Dane Fern Fight Club is don't mess with the Dane Fern Fight Club. Heavy. No, I'm not breathing heavy. It's how I breathe all the time, man. That's all on the next episode of The Man Cave, Tuesdays at 8.30pm on SABC3. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. And let's talk boxing now. Uh, former IBF champion Muruti Babyface Mtalane is aiming to regain his flyweight title. He's in Malaysia this weekend, taking on Mohamed Wasim for the vacant belt. And uh, we caught up with his trainer, Colin Nathan. Uh, remember that this is uh, on the undercard of many Pacquiao's fight against Lucas Mateso of Argentina. So it is a big one for Colin Nathan's camp. It's a big one for Muruti Mtalane, who's been out of action for some uh, time now. Not everybody gets to fight on a many Pacquiao undercut. So a couple of minutes before the show we caught up with uh, Colin Nathan and I began by asking him how it's like to be on the undercut of a mini Pacquiao fight. Wow. Uh, it's incredible. You know, Manny Pacquiao is not just a fighter, he's a global icon. A great person not just in boxing but outside of the ring. He's just a great human being. He's done a lot for the world and particularly his country in building hospitals and homes and giving back to, to his roots. Mm. And and with all the attention being on Pacquiao, obviously in the in the main fight, I mean, how has it been for for Muruti and for you guys to be just in that environment there in Malaysia? It's been great. You know, a lot of fans have stopped Muruti for pictures and you know selfies and so forth. So it's been really great. The reception here has been amazing. We've seen our opponent running around the hotel, and you know he's got his cheerleaders with him, and it's to see, but you know the cheerleaders can't get in the ring and help him on Sunday morning. So it's great moods. Uh, people are in high spirits. The hotel is packed, full of people. It's a, it's a real boxing situation right here in Malaysia because there's a mess of players from around the world that are here. There's Golden Boy, there's Top Rank, Manny Pacquiao promotion. So it's just a great, great experience to be 
all up in it and fight week. And, and Maruti certainly has been enjoying his moments in the sun so far. And remind us, how did this opportunity come come about? That is something, unfortunately, I'm not able to disclose. But the opportunities come, and we're here, and we're going to take it with both hands. Or Maruti's both hands, and all of us in the corner, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also on TV at this side. Um, we've seen it's being advertised. Uh, it must be huge also for you that the people back home can, can see the fight. Yeah, um, the scheduling's been changed with the first live TV fight, which starts at 2 a.m. South African time, not at 3 a.m. And we go on live for the first televised part of the the event. So it's a massive opportunity for Maruti to be seen in Africa as well, as well as as around the world. I mean, ESPN has to be the biggest brand in sport today. So we're very, very grateful, and we're just going to make use and take you know, make the best best of this opportunity come mm-hmm. Sunday morning. And how is Maruti? How is he looking? How is he feeling ahead of the fight? I know there was a time when he was out of the ring for some time. His spirits are high. His weight's good. In fact, we've just come back from the scale and he's about 200 grams out and we've got 12 hours to go. So his weight is good. He's pretty much on the weight. He's also eaten today and he's, he's hydrated. So he's good. He's ready to, to rumble and we're all excited and we're all in good spirits in the camp and Please God, South Africa will be returning with the IBF champion, you know, come Sunday morning. Yeah, he's still ranked fifth by ESPN, second by Ring Magazine, uh, from what I saw. What does that say about him, Colin? That he's a world-class fighter, that he's a world-class athlete. And South Africa needs to, and Africa needs to stand up and take notice of a boxing legend in Maritim Fulani. Does it feel that he has something to prove? How hungry is he? Because he actually never lost this title in the ring. He lost it due to inactivity. That's, that's exactly it, due to politics. So he's, come, he's coming full circle to IBF, and we're grateful to the IBF for giving us this opportunity. I met IBF president today, Daryl Peoples, and we had a great conversation and meeting as well about South African boxing. So things are looking up. You know, with Heki and Zolani and Isaac Dogbo in Ghana, we, we want to produce the fourth le- legit world champion for, for South Africa and Africa. So we're up for this. And yes, he does have something to prove. And, you know, when he had to vacate and give up his idea of championship, it hurts. But now he has an opportunity to regain the championship that he never lost in the ring. At 35, is it his last big opportunity? How do you see it? He's really, he's fresh. I think he's fresh. He's the defense is really good. He's, his work rate's insane. His work ethic, worth ethic, worth ethic, excuse me, is incredible. So, He's in really good shape. He's at, we've had good sparring in the gym, mentally, physically, and, and emotionally. He's ready for this fight. Mm, and what can you tell us about Mohammed Wasim? Good fighter, punch as well. Uh, technique's really good. Sharp puncher. Very fit. Likes to engage. Throws lots of combinations. But we have a good game plan. And when Maruti listens to me and, and implements that, we will all you'll be hearing from the ring announcer. Is Maritim Tlani as a new IBF champion of the world? So, looking very forward to that. Talking about the game plan, where will this fight be won then? How will it be won? You know, people ask me what's my prediction and how we're going to win. So, my prediction is simple. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to predict how we're going to win. All I'm going to say is my prediction is that we're going to win. I still won't talk about a game plan because you just never know who's listening to this radio station. You just never know who could report back to Mohammed Wasim or Jeff Mayweather. But I can assure you, and I know you're laughing. It's not funny. This is business. 
and I'm looking forward to, to Maruti's game plan and putting it all together on, on Sunday morning. Mm. And Jeff, Mayweather, what do you think is going to bring to the table? don't really care, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just looking forward to Maruti kicking his butt, uh, Mohamed Rasim's butt, and I guess myself kicking Jeff Mayweather's butt. So I don't really care, to be honest with you. I don't care what he does. I just know whatever he does and Mohammed does will be better on the morning. Finally, I see. So I think that's going to yeah. be the difference. I think, I think, I think you know, Wasim's a really good fighter, but I think Marutin Salani is really a much better fighter, and I think that's going to be the difference as the fight progresses. I say that finally, Mohammed Wasim has eight fights compared to Moretti's 30, 35 or so. Who's the favorite then for this one, Colin? You know, the thing is, is that, yeah, he's. He's had, you know, not nearly as many fights as Maruti, but he's had a very extensive amateur background, winning the silver medal in the Commonwealth Games in 2014, bronze medal in the Asian Games twice, I believe. So he's had a very, very decorated amateur career. The favorite, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I haven't really spoken to the boxing experts, as per se. And quite honestly, I don't listen to that stuff. I know what we have to do. I know I focus on the task at hand. I'm not really worried about what social media says or the boxing scribes say. My goal and objective from the second this IBF championship was made was for Maruti and Talani to win. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I don't care about their opinions or their predictions. All I want to do is win. And all we want to do as a team in Canada for South African African boxing is win. And that's going to happen Sunday morning, no less. Ever-confident Colin Nathan there, the trainer, boxing trainer, also SABC boxing analyst speaking to us ahead of Morutim Talan's fight there against Mohamed Wasim in Malaysia. It will be shown on South African TV at 2 a.m. as you head on Sunday morning. Up next, we speak to Mr. Kevin Karen. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. So as we always do on a Friday, it is Flashback Friday. We catch up with our sporting stars of yesteryear as we also try to educate the young ones about historic moments in uh, South African sport. And we're going to get some education tonight also because uh, Mr. Kevin Karen played a little bit before my time, as I mentioned, but I've always heard about him and he joins us now on the line. Mr. Karen, good evening, sir, and thank you for finding time to speak to us on SAFM. Only a pleasure to be with you. Look forward to chatting to you and your viewers. I know you're a busy man, but are you able to follow today's semi-final action between Kevin Anderson and John Isner? And if so, what are your thoughts? They've gone to the fifth set now? Absolutely. Uh, we, obviously, the whole country is pulling for Kevin, and uh, we're with him there uh, in spirit at Wimbledon. Uh, he's obviously had an amazing win against Roger Federer, the greatest player of all time. And uh, he's in a real battle now with Isner. He's down 6-5, I think, or 5 all they were in the, in the fifth set. Uh, a lot of tiebreakers, two of the best servers the, the game of tennis has ever seen. And so a very, very tight match. And uh, we're hoping and holding thumbs that he'll be able to pull through. And he seems to have reached a new level, Kevin Anderson, in recent times, consistently in the top 10. Now, is there anything you can point out that's changed or improved in his game, or is it all mental? Absolutely. The last months, he's actually improved all aspects of his game. In particular, his movement uh, has improved, which is a major factor playing on grass. He's always had a great serve, but he's now improved his baseline game. And in fact, against Roger Federer, as the match progressed and they got into the, the fourth and fifth sets, he started to dominate the baseline rallies, which is quite remarkable. Not many people are able to dominate Roger Federer from the baseline. 
So with that big serve of his, he had the, the luxury of, of winning some free points on the serve, but was able to dominate on the baseline. So he's improved his movement, and with that has come uh, much better volleying around the net as well. So he's, he's actually almost got the entire package now, which makes him a very dangerous opponent against anybody on the, uh, on the global stage. Mm. And talking about the global stage, Mr. Curran, you've played in Wimbledon singles, in a Wimbledon singles final, you've played in semifinals, of course, and what does it take to get to this stage? How, how's the pressure going into the business end of a Grand Slam? Well, particularly Wimbledon, I mean, it's probably recognized uh, amongst all the, the professional players and the tennis fraternity as the tournament, the biggest uh, title in the world to win with all the tradition that it's had over the years and all the great players want to win that title. And so the pressure is immense. And uh, kudos to, to Kevin Anderson, who actually has has had a great season last year. He got to the in September to the finals of the U.S. Open on hard courts, and he's, he's played well on the clay court season. And now he's proving he can play on the grass courts, which he's always struggled to move on in the past. So the, the pressure is immense. And uh, if he's able to, to win this, uh, this match, he will go through to the final and only be the second or third player, I think, in South African history to have, to have reached that final, which will be quite something else. Well, you were the last South African to reach the last four of Wimbledon. Wayne Ferreira came very close in 94. Are you surprised that it's taken so long? Yes and no. Uh, you know, the, the sport is, is truly global. There's probably 165 countries that compete annually in the Davis Cup, which is a team competition. So it's very difficult. And South Africa is very far removed from, from Europe, where most of the, uh, the tennis takes place there in America and in Asia. So it's very difficult to make it alone in South Africa. You've really got to venture out like Kevin did, as I did back in the in the 70s. I went to America on a tennis scholarship and managed to, to be drafted into their tennis system. And unless you get that exposure at the young age, it's very, very difficult to make it. South Africa is fortunate. We've got lots of tennis courts. We've got great weather. We've got some very good coaches, but we don't have enough tournaments in this country for the, for our players to really progress to that top level to get to the uh, professional level. So you you really have to go to abroad to apply your trade. Mm, now, we also use this time as to educate the young ones about historic moments in SA sport. And as, as I've said, I'm getting educated today because you played before my time. But in 1983, when you reached the semis at Wimbledon, how big an achievement was that for you? Or do you look back with regret at not reaching the final and winning it? Well, 1983 was the real breakthrough for me. It was the first time I got to a semifinal of a major championship. And, and tennis is the one sport where the majors really separate from the rest of, of the tour, the rest of, of events throughout the year because it's played over two weeks and it's played over five sets and you've got four different surfaces. So it really is an achievement. And in 1983, I managed to beat in the round of 16 the defending champion Jimmy, in Connors. Days, Jimmy Connors. It was a great win for me. I served 30, 33 aces, went on to the semifinals and lost a tough match to Chris Lewis after being up three love in the first set, lost 8-6. Eight, eight, but it, it gave me that belief that I belong with the top players in the world and I think that's what Kevin Anderson's going to take from this tournament, that he belongs with the top four or five players in the world. Prior to this Wimbledon, he had not beaten a top player in the top, in the top five in the world ever. So beating Roger Federer will give him that self-belief, but he can do it over the five sets. The ultimate test is the major championships in tennis. He'll have that belief now that he can go on, and I think you're going to see in the next couple of years a lot more good results coming from Kevin Anderson. Mm. Two years later, uh, back at Wimbledon again, you reached the final, losing to a certain 17-year-old Boris Becker. Does that one hurt? 
It does hurt because, you know, I started as a little kid in South Africa and, and playing against a wall in my back garden and slowly progressed up, became South African junior champion, went to America, won the top amateur title, which John McEnroe had won the year before called the NCAAs and then progress to the pro tour and then to get to as i discussed earlier the biggest title in the in the sport wimbledon and get to that finals having beaten edberg McEnroe and Connors, three yeah. of the greatest uh, grass court players, you know, that have played the game. I beat them all in straight sets, and then to come up and lose against a 17-year-old, <laughs> it was a bitter pill to swallow. But on reflection, when I look back, I got so close. You know, the finish line was within you know, touching distance. I came up short, but I came up short against a, a, a player, a German youngster who played out of his mind on the day, and he proved that it was no fluke by going back the following year and winning the title. So, in in hindsight, it was a great effort to get to the finals. I was very disappointed that I didn't win that title. I'd like to have had another shot or two to do so, but I ran up against the guy on the day who just played exceptionally well and, and turned out to be one of the great cross-court players of all time. And on your way to that final, you mentioned you beat Stefan Edbeck, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors. Which one was your was your suitest victory there? Because John McEnroe, you won 6-2, 6-2, 6-4. He was the world number one. Jimmy Connors was the number three, 6-2, 6-2 and 6-1. Yes, you know, both are very satisfying victories because you're playing on the biggest stage, as I say, in tennis. And uh, But beating McEnroe was exceptional. It was the only time that I'd beaten him up to that point. It was my first victory over him. And to do it on the big stage where he had been so dominant over the years, he, re- he really almost owned Wimbledon in those days. And he came to me after that uh, tournament and he said to me, I cannot believe the way you were playing that you actually lost to Becker. And I said, well, John, you're going to understand that Becker's a lot better than you think he is. And later McEnroe played him on the hardcourt season in the, in the U.S. and managed to sneak home 7-6 in the third set. And uh, he was uh, he came to me and he said to me, I see what you mean, this this kid Becker can play. And he went on to be a great one of the great superstars. But in 1985, what was known about Boris Becker? Was he already being tipped as one to watch or did he basically come from nowhere as a 17-year-old? Now, people think he came from nowhere, uh, but uh, he was in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open in 1984. And uh, that was in, in November, December of 1984. So six months later... Queens is a big warm-up grass court tournament for Wimbledon, and uh, Becker won that comfortably. Beat uh, Johan Crick, another South African, mm-hmm. 6-2 in the final. And I remember Johan saying, if he plays like this, he'll be unstoppable at Wimbledon, and how true those words were. So he didn't come from, from out of the blue. I think just that the fraternity knew him very well, but he wasn't well-known on, on the global sort of public stage. But uh, certainly that changed history. He was the youngest winner of all time at 17 years, and that record will be, you know, I'll have to go a long way to break that one. You do, however, Mr. Kevin Curran, have uh, four Grand Slam doubles titles to your name. Uh, you also reached the final of the Australian Open in 84. How do you look back at your career and what are some of your career highlights? Yes, you know, certainly uh, those uh, major doubles titles. I also I got to 54 finals in doubles. So whilst a lot of the focus is on singles, I had a great doubles career. Very proud of it. Uh, and uh, and in particular, the, the the Australian Open final in 1984, I beat Yvonne Lendl, who was the number one seed then, along the way to get there, and then losing to Mats Wielander, who was a multiple Grand Slam champion in the final, was a great achievement. And then obviously 1985, uh, beating all those great players along the those were the two real highlights of my uh, of my tennis career. There were many along the way, many great experiences, made many friendships. Got to see the world, experience the world, but uh, those those two events, the Australian Open and Wimbledon, definitely go down as the highlights in my career.
At that time, how was it for a South African playing on, on that international tour? How challenging? Was it challenging in any way? Yeah, it was challenging because in those days, if you recall, we were playing uh, under the apartheid uh, government. And so it was becoming more and more difficult for us to play uh, in countries. And some of the countries that were protesting and other countries that were not allowing us to, to, to get visas to play in those countries. And so it was very difficult because we were essentially independent contractors. We weren't playing for our country, we were playing for ourselves, but because of, of apartheid. And an interesting story that Samram Sami was protesting against us being able to play in these events around the world uh, in those days. And, and today, Sam and I are very good friends, and uh, obviously he headed up Sascock for many, many years. And he and I have uh, talked about that often, and obviously he was fighting for a greater cause more than just the individual. But yes, we were affected as individuals. John Crick and myself ended up taking out American citizenship so that we could get visas to play all over the world and ply our trade. I was about to ask, because in that 85 final, you are representing America. So was a decision made on what was happening in the country at the time? Yes, you know, it's interesting. We, we, we got the, we got the passports, both Young Crick and I, so we could play abroad. Uh, Wayne Ferrer has also got similar. Yeah. Kevin Anderson has applied for similar. So a lot of the players, and you'll find it with the golfers as well, have done similar. But I never relinquished my South African citizenship, and I consider myself very much a South African. In fact, when I got to the finals, I remember giving a press conference and saying, very much a South African, and uh, I remember Arthur Ashe, who was the yeah. U.S. Davis Cup captain, he called me at the time and he said, well, you've got to be careful what you say in your press conferences uh, if you want America. And I said, well, you know, I'm a South African at heart. So, yeah, I've never relinquished my South African citizenship, and uh, to this day, very much a South African. I live here and, and still very much support the South African cause. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Zola Bad, and she also had a similar story on how she ended up going to represent um, England, of course, uh, because of what was happening in the country at the time. And how was the money at the time? Because they're making big bucks now, the tennis players. Was it, a, was it also good at the time when you were playing? Yes, it's very interesting. A lot of guys say, well, they are earning incredible money nowadays. I think the winner takes home 40 million rand if he wins this, uh, the event. I think I, for getting to the finals, uh, if I recall right, I think I got 70,000 US dollars, which is what they get now pretty much for showing up in the first round. 128 players, they all get, I think, about 60,000. 60, uh, uh, dollars. So it has transformed, but we had a very good uh, time. I played in the McEnroe, Borg era, uh, Connors, and then later with, with Agassi and Sampras, Becker and Edberg. So I, I had longevity. I played for 14 years, and I can't complain. I was very fortunate that uh, I made a lot of money from uh, the sport of tennis, and so I have no qualms about it. It's just the nature of sport that it gets bigger and bigger each year, and there's more and more money involved, as we see in soccer and rugby and, and all the sports, golf. It's, it's just uh, the way that uh, sport is moving and uh, from the commercial side. So I have no qualms about the fact that we, we made, I thought, a lot of money in our day. Mm. And, 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 and in, in that time, I mean, who was the greatest player of the, of the different eras? There was the era you mentioned of McEnroe and uh, Bjorn Borg and I think and, and Connors. Who was the best player at that time? Well, Borg, when I came on the scene, he was, he was in his sort of last years and was getting set to retire. But he had a phenomenal record, if you recall. He won six Frenches and five Wimbledons consecutively. It's quite a remarkable record. And then McEnroe took the helm over from him and had a great uh, run. A very talented, completely different individual, different personality, but uh, was an incredible uh, crowd puller. Wherever he played, he sold out stadiums. So 
he had great appeal. And then later came Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, uh, and obviously Becker and Edberg in yeah. between that. But uh, I'd have to say in that era, Borg, McEnroe, and Sampras would go down as, as probably three of the top five of all-time players, along with the likes of Nadal and, uh, and Federer and Djokovic. And now, who do you enjoy watching the most and why? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Roger Federer, partly because uh, his mother is South African, and uh, and the fact that he's just a genius on the golf, on on the on the tennis court. He's just uh, he produces some amazing uh, tennis. He's sublime to watch. He just he's the entire package. He's a great role model for youngsters. Uh, he wins with dignity. Always gives credit to his opponent, and uh, just lovely to watch him play. And we've been very blessed to to watch him play in an era with both Nadal and Djokovic, where there's been um, some amazing matchups. And we're going to be blessed to see another one this evening after the Anderson match, where Djokovic goes up against Nadal. So, uh, yeah, Federer he definitely holds the record for titles, and uh, it's just been amazing. And I think when he finally does retire, it's going to be a huge loss for the sport of tennis. Talking about retirement, when did you decide to call it quits, Mr. Kevin Curran, and why? I finally uh, retired in 1993. I started playing professional tennis as an amateur in 1977 when I was at University of Texas. And uh, and so I had this really, for me in those days, was a very long career. In 93, I had some ankle problems. I couldn't get around the court, and the sport is predicated on, on being a really good mover. So unfortunately, in 93, it all came to I look back and I reflect back. It was a long career, a very rewarding career, and one that I was very happy with. Are you still involved with the game in any way? I know you were involved with the Davis Cup team after you stopped playing. Unfortunately, I'm 60 years old now, so I've left it to the younger guys to pick up the mantle. I did uh, give back in, in terms of coaching and, and being involved in management and the Davis Cup, and I'm always available to help youngsters. I sent a lovely message to Kevin Anderson this morning before his match. So, yeah, I'm always available to give back to the sport, which has been so good to me. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, getting on now and, and spending a lot more time on the golf course. <laughs> okay. We wish you all <laughs> the best of luck, Mr. Kevin Curran. Thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. We really appreciate it. We've been educated uh, tonight, and it's a pleasure and an honor to speak to you, sir. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate it, and always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. By the way, it's seven all in that fifth set, uh, Anderson and Isner. So you can go back and catch some tennis, Mr. Kevin Curran. Uh, what a legend of the game. As I said, I mean, I've never seen him play because obviously it was a bit before my time, but I've always heard about him. I've heard about uh, Cliff Drysdale also. That was way, way before my time. I started Memories that I have, of course, are Wayne Ferreira, the likes of Amanda Coutier. And uh, we did see Wayne Ferreira at Wimbledon, actually. He's there. He's, I'm told that he's playing in, on the senior tour. They're playing for $100,000 or pounds, Luyolo, you said. Uh, 100000 is the prize money on the seniors tour. So it's actually a serious tournament, the seniors. I was actually at Wimbledon uh, last year, and all these former stars were playing. The Martina Navratilova, uh, they were all playing there. Renee Stubbs, they were all in action. And I didn't realize that they were playing for so much money. No wonder they take it so seriously. But but it's also all fun and games. You get to see the tricks and it's really, really fun uh, to watch the seniors play at Wimbledon as well as the juniors. They also played throughout the two weeks. It was just disappointing last year that I don't remember, I didn't see any South African uh, when I was there as far as the juniors um, are concerned. But um, up next, we're going to talk about the big one then. Kaiser Chiefs have appointed their new coach, uh, Giovanni Solinas. He's the former coach of Free State Stars. 
please give us your thoughts. Is this the right decision? Is this what you've been waiting for? Amakosi supporters, 0891-104-207. Uh, you can call us. You can SMS us on 40938. WhatsApp 0614104107. And our hashtag is SAFM Sport On. Call Tabiso now, 0891-104-207. So let's talk then about uh, the Kaiser Chiefs coach. What's happening in the tennis is Isna is leading 8-7 in that deciding set in the semi-final against Kevin Anderson. And we'll keep you updated before the end of the show. Veli Lembuli joins us on the line. Um, he's been covering and following this uh, appointment that people have been waiting for at Kaiser Chiefs, uh, the new head coach. And finally, Giovanni Solinas was revealed as the, the new man in charge uh, today. And Veli Lembuli joins us on the line. Veli, good evening and thank you for finding time to speak to us. Is this the appointment that Kaiser Chiefs fans have been waiting for and has it been worth the wait? Well, certainly not worth the wait and um, very disappointing, it's got to be said. Uh, if we are to judge Tabiso uh, based on the track record of the coaches um, that Kaiser Chiefs had interviewed before this appointment and also came very close to appointing um, you can look maybe at the likes of uh, Patrick Cateron, you can look at Hossam um, El-Badri, um, you can also look at uh, someone like Avram Grand has been um, engaging for a very long time and uh, to finally settle for Giovanni Solinas um, is a disappointment. Um, I've got to say for Peter friends and I'm not surprised that um, there's this kind of reaction on the timeline on on social media, especially on Twitter, um, not not because uh, maybe uh, Giovanni Solinas is not a good choice, but um, based on the standards and um, the benchmark that they had set um, in, in in terms of um, going for their next coach, um, following uh, three barren seasons where nothing was achieved. Um, at, at the club, and you coming now with um, a coach who doesn't really inspire confidence um, in terms of his uh, track record, especially when it comes to um, lifting some silverware. So is it a panic appointment then, because you've been on this story, and Solinas was hardly mentioned until probably today? Uh, I did pick it up last week that... Uh, the, the 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 team was working on getting a foreign coach, and I remember at that time I think the only thing that was outstanding was just um, a, a work permit, you know. Um, so it, it did appear that you know um, there is something that they were working on. So, um, but I was not I was not really sure that it's him because the name. What, what has been clear from the word go is that Kenneth should not go, go for another um, local coach uh, unless something dramatic had, had to happen. Uh, but that they went for him, <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise, um, really, um, I've, I've got to say. But also when you look at his record, I know that more, a lot of people um, are talking about uh, the brand of football um, that is playing and um, some of the people I've also spoken to today, uh, maybe who have worked even closer with him, um, talk about uh, possession football, um, being organized, 
uh, in, in their play and maybe also a good man manager in the dressing room as well. But um, results, uh, if you are looking for a coach who's going to give you results, he's uh, definitely not that coach. And uh, this is coming from some of the people who know him better that if you are looking for results. And, and I think for me, um, if you look at his second spell um, after replacing Mirandob, uh, just after a few matches into the new season, and also uh, he took the team, I think uh, they finished 12th and uh, with uh, only 31 points. And I remember them losing to all the parties in the semi final in the in, in, in the in the Cup. And that yeah. the first spell was okay. It was a good spell. But if you look at his second spell, uh, he was fired in January. Um, they had won only three matches out of 15 matches. And part of the three matches that had been won were won by Middendorf at the beginning of the season. Uh, and not by him. So... Here, uh, Tabiso, you can see what you are dealing with. And, and I know that, uh, Kenneth Chiefs on their statement also allude to the fact that, um, he's done well on the continent, um, he's, um, coached in the CAF Champions League and also the CAF Confederation Cup as well. Yes, he's coached there, but his track record isn't there. He's not inspiring confidence. Uh, let's go back to 2010. He coached the ESO Chiefs. Uh, he lasted only a four months there in Algeria at ESRTs. And in that period, uh, he could only finish third uh, in the group stages, uh, couldn't make it to the knockout um, phase. He finished third behind uh, Tipi Mazembe and Esperanza, two teams that went on to play in the semis uh, with Mazembe eventually um, winning um, that, that competition that, that year, beating the same Esperanza in the final. The only team they could manage to beat that year was Dynamos from Zimbabwe. Yes, uh, they won that game three million. So, but let's 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 wait and see because one will also say, well, look look at this. Um, this was fifteen stars. Now he's at Kiza Chiefs. Maybe the squad is different. But uh, <laughs> I not convinced. I'm going to go to the line shortly. But just tell us what happened with Stuart Baxter because he will seem to be the front runner at some stage. I think the Stuart Baxter and um, Link. Uh, was very interesting. And uh, what is interesting is that Tonga uh, <laughs> was George Baxter. I uh, was uh, reading one of these uh, social media posts today where they say uh, this Kaiser Chiefs coach search is exactly uh, what, like what happened with Bafana Bafana coach search last year um, from uh, Carlos Quiroz, uh, Hugo Bruce, or Henry Nard, and then we ended up with George Baxter. And uh, <coughs> You can connect the dots on what happened with Chief just now as well. But with George Buckethead, it was always going to be difficult. Um, remember, he's on a five-year contract that ends in 2022 um, at Safa. And as much as there appears to be some moments of discontent uh, from both sides when it comes sorry, uh, to, to this contract, it, it is also going to be difficult for Safa six weeks away um, from a crucial qualifier against Libya um, to just let a coach go. Even if maybe you might not be entirely convinced with him, but uh, at this stage, Safa cannot just um, release a coach uh, because there's no guarantees that they're going to get as their targets. Because also, remember, Safa financially is not one of the strongest FAs currently uh, around on, on the continent. So for them, 
uh, they had to speak with their coach and make sure that uh, whatever happens. And, and I also understand that Safa uh, apparently did pay Supersport uh, some money to get uh, Stuart Baxter. And surely uh, part of that, they were also going to demand that uh, a case achieves maybe pay him out. Uh, so uh, when it's rumored to be on 1.2 million rand a month, and uh, now you get this. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if Kenneth Chief was going to go into that. And it appears as if Kenneth Chief was not really uh, handling this directly with Safa. And they were more reliant, um, as I understand. They were more reliant on the coach having to free himself from um, Safa, and then uh, they would engage. But mm. yes, there was a serious engagement uh, because, uh, like we're seeing today, the club it, it became desperate, and they were looking now for someone um, who had been here in the PFL before. But I'm sure they could have done better than Giovanni Solidas. Let's go to the lines, Eddie in Cape Town. You are Chiefs fans. How do you? Are you a Chiefs fan? How do you feel? Good evening. I'm a, I'm a for life, my friend. But I'm a bit conflicted here because I do need a coach that's gonna that's got experience and all of that. But who's gonna come and and, and change things? So when I saw his name this afternoon, I quickly did a Wikipedia and, and Google and check. And I'm, I'm really disappointed with Kaiser Chiefs really to, to, to do this. I mean, what happened to the plans they had with Steve, like uh, the way they're going to do an academy and all of this, and now they bring this guy. So the other thing is every team in the world is going to the young coaches and uh, those coaches that have played for those teams. Look at Vidan, look at... Um, um, and Enrique, look at all these uh, these these teams going for the young um, um, coaches. So, wh- wh- what is the plan with him talking now? Um, when they bring, I mean, this this guy. Really, I'm a bit conflicted here because then mm. they're gonna bring the guy back, but then he's 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 good to be there, but he's not good enough to be given the reins and prove himself. So, well, Patrick Mabed is uh, definitely not. Yeah. Patrick Mabed is definitely not good enough, according to Bobby Mutawung, who said he will never be the head coach of Chiefs, even though he yeah. took the club to preseason, uh, through preseason. Uh, let's go to Jafta in the Northwest, another Kaiser Chiefs fans, uh, fan. What are your thoughts, Jafta, on Solinas? Hey, remember how's it? Fine, thanks in you, Jafta. Good, my brother, man. Listen, uh, where does the quote come from? Italy. Italy. Uh, you know, what, what is he bringing for us, member? You know, we are, we are running short of cups, man. We've been losing uh, matches. And uh, what is he bringing to us? Well, as you heard from Villela, he doesn't have a good track record as far as uh, winning trophies are concerned. He helped Free State Stars finish um, 12th the other year. And I think <laughs> they reached the semis of one of one cup. But that's about it. Now, now what... I mean, I mean, I mean, remember, what do we expect? If the coach didn't win cups and then we bring him in as a, as, a, as a head coach, what do we expect? Yeah, well, some people have said that it talks to how the club is being run at the moment, that the club is failing to attract a big name players, let alone big name coaches. And Arnold Rankoko wants to add on this. Uh, Black Mamba, good evening. Remember, how are you? It's a shubi, it's a shubi, Arnold Rankoko. What do you want to add? Yeah, man, it shows. You know, I, I wanted to compare with Bailey the what he said, to say that uh, uh, they find themselves in this situation because the number one coach that they were looking after he didn't come through second and third. So they had to second for who's available. So we'll have to give the guy a chance. We saw what he did for Christine Stars, and we hope that maybe he can, maybe like he can really be on his side. You know, sometimes you need luck to, to be successful in these teams.
maybe it can be a turning point for him for his career. We've seen the glimpse of him for free state stars, and we're hoping that maybe it can continue going forward. Great call. Thank you, Arnold. There, Arankonko. Eric in Pulukwane, you also want to comment? Good evening. Yes, Taviso, and how are you? Fine, thanks, Eric. Yeah, Taviso, I want to indicate something about this uh, new coach for Kaiser Chiefs. I'm a Sundowns fan, so I have done some review about his stay at the team. This man has been staying at each team at least for one year. He stayed at the team for one year, 2010. Mm. He stayed at uh, CR Bellows. That one year, 2011. 2013, JSM Pajaya, I'll just jump. I'll show you that. At yeah. Alpha Zali State, 2013, 2014. Free State Stars, 2015-16, and was recalled again, 2016-2017. Alpha Zal, lastly, 2017-2018. So let us, I hope that he's not going to stay for one year at Kaiser Chiefs. That's my take. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Valile is a short-term coach. Uh, Eric just gave us his record there. What does that tell us? No, I think I agree with him. And uh, uh, what you have also have to understand, tell you so, um, is that I, even with uh, the Stuart Baxter move that Kenneth Shields wanted to do, because Kenneth Shields is, is desperate. And you you will understand, tell you so, that Kenneth Shields is, is a team that is more commercially driven. And so the last three years has hit them Severely in terms of the coffers and also in terms of driving their commercial uh, campaigns, uh, which is informed by the core business of football, which is results in the field of play. I always link people to the championships that I was lifting uh, the last league title, I think around 2014, um, 2015, when Baxter was still there as a coach. And if you recall the last six to seven matches, you go from Pulukwane, you go from Devon, you go um, to Cape Town, and you go to PE. And I'm talking about all these big 2010 World Cup venues. They were sold out for cater sheets. So you look at what has happened uh, in the last three years. Uh, it's a team that is desperate for something. Even one trophy for them will do just to get something to celebrate. So that's why even Baxter was going to be a stop uh, gap measure. Um, uh, option just for maybe two years. It was also going to be offered two years. So as the team searches for a long-term option, but they should achieve now so that at least uh, the team can re- remain relevant um, in, 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 the sh- in the short space of time. But as to whether this is a man that will get Kenneth Shields to be relevant again, I- I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's just a, a matter of, of waiting and seeing. And I know people will say, well, uh, look, ML, um in fact, maybe they will say he didn't have a team like I had said before, existing stars, but look at what look Emil has achieved uh, with the squad that was deemed to be a relegation candidate. Um, at Free State Stars last season. Uh, the same uh, Free State Stars team, um, which uh, this um, uh, Solinas, he had inherited a very good team uh, from uh, Eric Middledorf, but still he was fired <laughs> only in January. Okay, let's leave it there. Velile Mbuli, he won't be on the bench for the Maze Cup. Chiefs have announced he doesn't have a work permit. Thank you very much, Velile Mbuli, for joining us and giving us insight into uh, the new Kaiser Chiefs coach, Giovanni Solinas. Chaput.
And that's it. Brings us to the end of the show. And uh, as it always happens, when you want to give the score, they go to an ad break. Okay, there it is. Uh, the fifth set between Kevin Anderson and uh, John Isna. Isna leading 10-9. Another marathoner for Kevin Anderson there. Leading 10-9 in the fifth and deciding set. Thank you to Luyolom Kalipi. Thank you, Sylvester Komane and Tebuko Khadebe on social media for us uh, this evening. Up next will be Lizette Khan of The Pitch. Uh, my name is Atabiso Mosia. There'll be more sport in uh, the morning on Jet Set Breakfast with Oli Zondo and Michelle Constant. Any suggestions, always feel free to email Helen Kulchik, sport at safm.co.za. News is up next.